All right, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, if you have a Bible, you can go there. Um, my goal is to cover Mark 3, um, verses 7 through 35. Mark 3, verses 7 through 35, and... Uh, really, is I'm going to do a little different. Usually, I have you stand, read the whole passage. This, this morning, we're going to kind of go. We're going to kind of read as we go. But I do want to point out, and I've got some slides, Scott, for these uh, significant verses. Jesus is dealing with crowds, and the crowds are not exactly the the community that he's um, that he's building. And so, there's this movement from crowds to community. And so I want you to see this in these verses. Now, the first verse I want to highlight is Mark chapter 3 and verse 9, where it says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Now go down to verses 20 and 21. It says, Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Okay. And then go to verses, this is the end of the passage, verses 32 and following. It says, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, the reason why I highlight those verses is because I see in this passage that we're looking at that Jesus is wanting to move people from the crowd to the community. That, that Jesus is not interested in gathering a super big crowd, but he is interested in building a community. He wants to move the crowd to become his family. Um, he wants to move people who are literally, you can kind of see that, and Mark's going to emphasize this over and over again, that, that the crowd is more of an obstacle to Jesus at times than it is like a benefit they're crushing him. They're forbidding him from eating. He can't even eat. There's so much crowds going on and, and crazy things going on. And so what he's doing is he's taking the crowd and moving them to the community. Now, it's interesting when you look at this, these verses because it says in verses 9 and it says in verse 20, it calls it the crowd. So there's a definite article, the crowd, kind of like the city or the building. There's the crowd. But then you can see when it says in verse 32, and a crowd was sitting around him. Now in the Greek, same thing's happening. In the Greek, same thing's happening. There's, there's a definite article. There's kind of the big crowd, the crowd. And the crowd doesn't, honestly, I'll be honest with you. The same verbs are used for the crowd that there are for demons. They're pressing, they're crushing, they're, they're kind of, it's almost volatile because they're just seeking something and they're seeking needs and all of those things. But then it turns into there's a crowd. So there's a crowd within the crowd that begins to encircle Jesus. And Jesus begins to look at them and says, this is my mother and my brother and my sister. Those who do the will of God. 
So in, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus is not angry that the crowd is what the crowd is. He's not angry that he's got to get on a boat because they're crushing him. He's not angry that he can barely eat because they're coming around. He's, he's, not, he's not angry at them. He's changing them. Can I get an amen? And let's turn off the guilt-o-meter and just admit that we are disciples who are not perfect. And Jesus loves us where we're at, but he doesn't always love where we're at. And he's moving us to a place. And in particular, this is so important, in particular, Jesus is moving you from the crowd of the church, oh, here we go, to the community of the church. And the vision of Cross Point Church is not to gather a big crowd, it's to build a powerful community in the name of Jesus Christ. It's to move people from being observers to participators, from spectators to connectors, from people who are just kind of mulling about to people who are engaged in community. Let us not be the crowd of the church. Let us be the community of the church. Woo! I'm preaching now. I got my green shirt on. Be calm. Join a life group. We are preaching this morning. Now, this is hard for us. This is hard for me. This is hard for me. Because can I tell you, it is a lot easier being a part of the crowd than being a part of the community. It's easy just to kind of join in and kind of kind of blend into the crowd and not stand out in commitment to the community. I learned this about my own heart even recently. I know it shocks you because you think I'm perfect. I know. But... When I was on break, I loved going to church. Can I get an amen? I went to the big churches. You want to know why I go to big churches? So I can just blend in. And it's easy. It's easy. You just, you just slip in. You got your Bible. You listen to a sermon. You slip out. You don't have to remember anybody's name. Can I get a hallelujah? You don't have to give money. You don't have to say, yeah, I'll serve, or oh, yeah, I'll be a part of whatever. You don't, you don't even have to think about that. You can just listen to a sermon and hope that the preacher is not too boring. Hope that the preacher preaches a, a short route sermon without taking shortcuts in the Word of God. Get to the point, preacher, so I can go home with my girls and eat me a roast today. It's easy to be a part of the crowd. But the problem is, that there's no power, ultimately. And sure, Jesus is healing people and he's meeting their needs and he's doing things, but he doesn't want us to be confused that the show and the miracles is the point. The point of Jesus is that he's building a community out of the crowd, and that includes you and I. And there's not one of us that doesn't need to take a new step in commitment to the community of the church, myself included. There, there's never a moment when we've arrived at this idea of being a part of the community. We're always growing because discipleship is not about perfection, but it is about direction. And who are the disciples of Jesus? They are those who are committed to each other, connected to his community, and building up his body in this fallen and dark world. I know, because you're American and I'm American. I say, man, I just, why can't I just mind my own business and hear a good sermon and go home and just live my life the way I want to? I know you're asking that. 
It's a part of our hearts. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this passage and we're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, can you motivate me? Can you move in my life? Can you minister to me so that I'll move from the crowd to the community of the church? Will you, will you work in my life to build in my heart a love for your community so that I can be your brother, so that I can be your sister, so that I can be the one that does the will of God with your help, Jesus? Why, Jesus, help me to understand why, your reasons for why I need to be not a part of the crowd, but a part of the community. Let me give you a few reasons that Jesus, I think, gives to us very clearly. The first reason that Jesus says that we should be moved from the crowd to his community is so that we can be the people of God. So that we can be the people of God. Now let's go back and let's start reading through the passage. Mark 3 and starting in verse 7. Mark 3 and verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, I, I love that part. I love this part. It's so interesting. Because when the demons come and they're like, You're the Son of God. Which it's like, Wow. Have you noticed that, that demons are great theologians? Have you noticed that they say exactly what should be said about Jesus? Jesus is the, the son of God. Everything that comes out of the demons in confession of Jesus is absolutely accurate. They could go to seminary and pass every exam. And yet Jesus says to them, and scholars call this the messianic secret. Jesus says to the, to the demons, don't you make me known. Don't you go telling people that I'm the son of God. We remember from the other week that the reason why is because Jesus isn't just interested in doing the will of God. He's interested in doing the will of God God's way. Is it God's will for the world to know that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. But is it God's way that the knowledge of him as the Son of God would come from demons? No. Jesus is all about doing God's will, God's way. And so there's this great transition. You think it's a break in the text, but it's not. Because what's going to happen is Jesus is now going to create the 12 disciples. And he's going to say it's not from demons that the knowledge of the Son of God is to go into the world. But it's from disciples that the knowledge of the Son of God goes into the world. And so then we get this great list of the 12 disciples. So if you're ever playing Bible trivia with some friends, you can study this passage before you go to their house because inevitably one of the questions will be name three disciples out of the 12. And I'm going to give those to you right now. Now look at verse 13. I loved it. Man, I love this part. It says, and, and he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, literally those whom he willed, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, 
so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Yoenerius, Yoenerius, it's not a B, anyways, I said that wrong, but go with me. That is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, why is Jesus moving us from the crowd to the community? I'll tell you why. So that we can be the people of God. And it is not an unimportant detail that the disciples are described as the 12 disciples. Now, there's other disciples, but the foundation of the disciples and the foundation of the apostles upon which the church stands is the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples. Why? The reason why is because Israel in the Old Testament was founded on the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's happening here, it's kind of profound. I don't fully understand it, but it's awesome. What's happening here is Jesus is creating a new Israel or a new people of God in this world to advance the purposes and the plans of God in the world. And Jesus is saying, listen, these are going to be the foundational um, elements of God's new move and kingdom. The kingdom is going to begin to come into this world, a kingdom of light, a kingdom that, that, that manifests itself. Through, through community, it's going to come through the people of God. And so what happens is, when you and I become believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes us spiritually into the family of God. And now we are to manifest the people of God in the local community of the church. We are to be the people of God. That is a profound, heavy, deep, transcendent, eternal reality that we are a little part, a local visible expression of the worldwide people of God gathered around Jesus Christ, who is the new Israel in the world, composed of Jews and Gentiles and people of every nation. You see, we are the people of God in the world. We're the people of God by grace. Where the people of God purchased with the blood of Jesus. And it's true. There, there's uniqueness to these 12 guys that none of us have. They, they had a role that some of us will never ever have. But the same God who brought these guys together is the same God that's calling his people sovereignly to each other in the church today. And the same ideas and principles from the same character of the same God work out. Namely, look at the diversity The people of God is not a a one-colored people or one economic level. You've got every different kind of person in this little list. You've got people who who have extorted people from their money who have been saved by Jesus. You've got fishermen. You've got people who have probably some nice things and some, some... Nice homes to go to, like Levi. We saw the party last week at Levi's house. He had a sweet house, didn't you think? That was a pretty sweet, you know, pad. But then you've got the rough-hewn fishermen like Peter. 
These guys are all very different. Some of them are loud, the sons of thunder. In the Greek, the, the phrase used for sons of thunder, that name I couldn't even say, that, what that name means is loud mouths. And possibly volatile loud mouths. Sons of thunder. Here were these loud mouthed brothers walking around, talking at the, at the mouth at everybody, had no filter, always getting into fights because of their mouth got them into the fight. I've never known that to happen to me, but I'm just saying. But then you got guys you never hear about again in the Bible. You never know what happens to Bartholomew. You never know what happens to some of these guys. Some of these guys are so quiet. Have you ever been around quiet people and you're like, I just wish they would talk so I knew what they were thinking? Have you ever been like that? Introverts drive me crazy. What are you thinking? I don't know. But extroverts drive you introverts crazy because you just want them to shut up. <laughs> See what I mean? And all these different people, they got to they gotta kind of get along. And then, you know Simon the Zealot, who's, Simon the Zealot's the nationalist guy. He's the patriotic guy. He's like, Israel forever. He's got a belt buckle that said, God, guns, and guts set Israel free. You know what I'm saying? This is Simon the Zealot. He got his Israel flag shirt. He flies his flag. He's trying to hang out with Levi, who's been extorting Israelites from their money, even though he was a fellow Jew. Levi is a turncoat. Levi is Benedict Arnold. Levi is the worst guy in the world. And these guys got to get along together. What's holding them together? Because they're no longer living for their individual interests, but for the interest of God through Jesus Christ. They're called to belong to something bigger than themselves. Crowds live for themselves. Crowds are just a whole mass of people living for individual needs. Community is people who are living for each other, despite their differences. Why does Jesus move us from the crowd of the community? Because we are the people of God. However different, however broken, however imperfect, by grace, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are the people of God. We are the new Israel founded on the new 12 tribes. That's who we are. But can I just say one more point under this heading? That we are the people of God. That we're broken. Verse 19 is a stunning verse because you know, now listen, you know verse 19 doesn't get written if Mark had his way. You know Mark didn't want to write down the name of Judas Iscariot. It makes Jesus look bad. It makes, it makes this founding group look bad because Judas Iscariot, even though he was willed by Jesus to belong to the 12 tribes or to the 12 disciples, even though that happened, yet he betrayed Jesus. He's a black mark on this community. But the Holy Spirit, through Peter, no doubt, led him to include Judas Iscariot into the list. Why? To remind us that this community of the church is not a utopia. Can I get an amen? This is not an untarnished community. And it's a reminder to us, Crosspoint, to stay humble. 
I've been a pastor, a youth pastor, an associate pastor. My brother was a pastor. My best friend was the pastor's kid. I've been around pastors and church and leadership my whole life. I can tell you from pastors to parishioners, you never know where the betrayal is going to come from. And the sobering reality is this. There is always a Judas at the table. Always. That's a sobering thing. And churches get in danger, and I don't want us to fall into it. Churches get into danger, danger when they start presenting themselves as, you should come to our church because we're perfect, we've got it all together, or, or begin to come under the illusion that they finally have arrived and that they're no longer in danger of being in danger to the enemy. Beloved, we are in danger every day of our existence. This church is one decision away from being absolutely harmed. We are not perfect. And what holds us together is not our own qualities, but the quality of Jesus Christ. The utopia will come when the, when the kingdom comes. The utopia will come with the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, we are a broken people who has a perfect savior in this world. And many people say, I don't want to participate in the church because there's hypocrites. I might get hurt. It's too risky. I might actually go from the crowd to the community and really get vulnerable and then get slammed. And you're right. You might. But isn't that a test of our faith? To say it's worth the risk because my Savior will never let me down. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus will hold me together. And that will hold you in his community. We don't go from the crowd to the community because we're perfect or because the church is perfect, but because Jesus calls us to it. He wills it. He brings us together. And we help each other out. You see, we go from the crowd to the community so that we can be the people of God. Here's the second thing. This is probably my, my favorite part. The second reason uh, is that we want to join Jesus in plundering Satan's house. Oh, man, this is good. All right, Mark 3, look at verses 22 and following. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. So they're kind of saying, you know, Jesus is doing all these miracles because Satan's at work in him. All right, verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they, are, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, oh my goodness. I mean, this is just a powder keg of a passage. And... So many people make comments, this passage has freaked out believers for 
millennia. I mean, this is like, because people wonder, what's the unpardonable sin? What's, what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I don't want to do that because if I do that, then I'm never going to go to heaven and all these bad things are going to happen to me. And can I say to you, I was, I was planning on talking about, in fact, I wrote it, in, I baked it into the sermon to talk specifically about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin. I'm going to save that for next week because I want to focus on community this week. And you're like, well, thanks. Now I don't know if I have eternal life for a week. You know, like, but here's the deal. Uh, the short version is this. The unforgivable sin is final unbelief. It's, it's the ongoing refusal to accept the Holy Spirit's invitation to accept Jesus for who he is, which is the Savior and the Son of God. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, there's only one sin that Jesus didn't die for, and it's final unbelief. Now, we'll go into the details next week and all the, all the, all the different things, but, but that's, what, that's, what, that's what's happening in that passage. But what I, I do want to focus on is I want to focus on verse uh, 27. Now, look at verse 27. It says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Now, the, the Pharisees, the scribes are saying, you know, Jesus is doing what he's doing by the power of Satan and demons, by Beelzebul and demons and the prince of demons, which would be Satan. And Jesus is ultimately saying to him, first of all, your logic is just really dumb. I mean, it's just you're not even rational at this point, which we'll talk about that next week, how irrational they are because of their, their refusal to believe in Jesus. But what he does is he says, my purpose is the very opposite, not to be filled by Satan, but to actually go into Satan's house, bind him, and plunder his house. In other words, the strong man in verse 27 is Satan, but the stronger man is Jesus, and Jesus presents himself as going into Satan's house, tying him up, binding him, and then, and then plundering his house. Now, what's he plundering? Jesus is plundering people who are trapped in bondage, people who are trapped in darkness, people who are bound by Satan, and they can't get out. They're stuck. They're held hostage. They're so stuck in darkness, so trapped in darkness, that there's no way that they can get out. The only way that they can escape is if a stronger one than Satan goes into Satan's house, ties him up, and then sets the captives free. And you see this idea of house and kingdom and the idea of community. You've got the kingdom of Satan and you've got the kingdom of God. You've got the house of Satan and you've got the house of God. And the house of God and the people of God exist to join Jesus. Oh man, to join Jesus in helping plunder Satan's home. Go and help people in bondage. Go and help people out of addiction. Go and help people learn what marriage looks like rooted in Christ. Go and help people walk in light and not darkness. Truth and not lies. To walk in justice and not in injustices. You see, the church joins Jesus in this binding of Satan and setting the captives free. That's why we exist. We come together and we say Satan has been bound in Jesus' name. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the penalty of our sin, but he also bound the obligation of people to follow Satan. He, 
He set people free from the obligation to live in Satan's house. Isn't that good news? That's good news. And that's why we come every Sunday. We celebrate. I've been set free. I'm not a part of Satan's house anymore. I'm not a part of his kingdom anymore. I'm a part of the people of God. Sometimes my mind forgets that and I begin to act like I still live in the house of Satan. Sometimes I still talk like I belong to the house of Satan. But the reality is, is that in Jesus Christ, I've been set free forever and ever. I'm no longer Satan's goods. Jesus plundered me from. He took captivity captive so that the captives could be set free. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said, but I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And you know what? There could be somebody in this service or in the next service that feels absolutely obligated to Satan. It's in bondage. You don't know your way out. You wonder how it's ever, ever going to end. And I want you to know there's a Savior. And there's a church that has this message. That there's hope. Because Satan has been bound in the name of Jesus. And as we proclaim Jesus and as we get in his word, more and more people will be set free. Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news. We don't want to be the crowd. We want to be the community that does that. We want to be, we want to mean something. We don't, want to, we, don't, we don't want to just sway in the wind and wait for the next miracle. Man, we want to, in the day of small things, we want to be committed to community. In the day when it seems like nothing's going to happen, when it's ordinary, that's okay. We step, we step in and we commit to the community. See, we are the people of God. And we join Jesus in plundering Satan's house. And then finally today, we want to move from the crown to the community, to encircle Jesus, to do the will of God. To do the will of God. Goes on to say, look at Mark 3, verse 31. (laughs) This is a trip, man. This passage is such a trip. It says, verse 31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. (laughs) You You know, Mary and the brother, get this, Mary and the brother of Jesus are saying, like, go tell them we're here. Tell them we're here. Just tell them it's us. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother. And sister and mother. This is interesting because it, it had said, if go back to verse 31, Mark 3, verse 31. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. No doubt this is the brothers of Jesus. I have brothers. I'm telling you, this is the brothers of Jesus. They're like, they're like, okay. 
I like the whole Messiah thing, but I think it's getting to his head. And, you know, we got to manage him. We got to manage Jesus. We got to reprogram him because this is chaotic. People are knocking on doors and calling us at all hours of the night. And there's demon-possessed people around all the time. And Jesus is creating this whole, whole problem. And, you know, at the end of the day, we do want to manage Jesus. At the end of the day, we're kind of like, you know, we don't want this Jesus thing to be, you know, out of the mind. We don't want it to get crazy. At the end of the day, we're tempted to domesticate Jesus and, and to, come Jesus, to come to Jesus to do our will, our way. We're, we're come to domesticate him, to make him our homeboy. Our homeboy. Not big brother, little brother. Not, not, the, not the one who's commanding us, but the one who we're trying to kind of just use just for our own little purposes. See, that's what's happening. Even Mary. Even Mary. I mean, she got the vision from Gabriel. She's the one that, that you know, it says in Luke, she treasured these things up in her heart. I mean, she was so happy to bring the Son of God into the world. But she had a vision for how she thought it was going to work out. And we have a vision for how we think Christianity is going to work out. And the moment that the vision Jesus gives to us is different than what we expected is the moment that we're tempted to go, wait a minute now, I've got to tie this thing down to my own. Jesus says, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not even family connections can get you into my house. Not even, not even your family history or tradition or your genealogy. Just, just because you're related to me, little brothers, that doesn't make you a believer or a disciple. Just because you've been around me, that doesn't make you my disciples. My family, my family are those who do the will of God, who obey, who are becoming Christ-like. <laughs> it's intimidating. This is, inti this is intimidating, man. I, I'm not obedient all the time. This is intimidating. This is, this is why we worry about going to church. I'm going to feel unworthy. I'm going to feel like I can't do it. There's going to be all these rules. There's going to be commands. There's going to be guilt-o-meters. There's, there's going to be sirens that go off when I come in unworthy. And then we hear Jesus say, it's those who do the will of God. That's my family. I was reminded of Augustine. He used to say, um, Lord, Command what you will, but will what you command. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I need your grace. I need your power. I can't do it. And you know, in light of the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, what, what's said is that obedience is never taken away from the gospel, it's, it's actually more in front of us than ever before, but as well as the command is, is the power and the grace to enable us to become obedient, to grow in obedience. And, and I really believe that the secret to growing and transformation and obedience to the word of God is community. 
that the very secret is that they are encircling together. Everybody say together. They are encircling together Jesus and they're sitting in his presence. And there's no question that the word of Jesus demands our obedience, but our obedience demands the presence of Jesus. And the way we get into the presence of Jesus is together because the Holy Spirit fills us as we love one another, as we speak truth over each other, as as we hold each other accountable. There's power in that. Why do we want to move from the crowds to the community? Because we want to encircle Jesus to do the will of God. And crowds will never obey God, ever ever no culture no nation no empire consumerism cannot lead to obedience to God's will it takes community we do better together and we do better when other people are watching that's how all of life works our youth pastor Tim Brown a young buck He asked me one time, he goes, you ride a road bicycle? And I was like, yes, I do. He's like, take me on your route. I'll bring my road bicycle over. We'll go on around. We'll, we'll ride your route around Washington. I call it the Tour de Washington. You know what I mean? And so I was like, no problem. You know, and I started talking all deep and macho. You know what I mean? I started getting all, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, all right, kid follow me. You know what I mean? I got on my road bicycle and I started going and it was against wind and up the mountains and around the corn and through the cemetery and over the bridge. And I was just going, I was like, I was going, I was like, I'm going to show him how this is done. I'm going to show him how it goes. And I, I took him on the route. I go all the time. I do this route all the time. And I go around and we go around and uphills and mountains and the whole thing. It was like the Tour de France, but even better. I was like Lance Armstrong without steroids. It was awesome. It was awesome. So I go and and he's following me and everything like that. And I realized about halfway through, I'm really tired. And then I got like three quarters through and I was like, I'm about to die. At one point in time, we're riding through uh, like a neighborhood with some houses and stuff. And Tim's behind me and I'm like, I hope he's keeping up because this is really hard. And he said, hey, do you see that? Do you see that, that porch furniture at that house? And I was like, no, but I just saw my life pass before my eyes. We get to the end. We come back around and wind through. And I come up my driveway. And Tim comes up behind me. And I got off. And I was like, are you all right? And he goes, I'm fine. What's wrong with you? I was like, oh, my gosh. And here's what had happened. Because he was with me, I rode faster. You know, when I'm riding by myself, it's like, I just kind of like, I just got to enjoy the ride. But with the young buck with me, when I had something to show, when somebody else was watching, I got better. And spiritually, it's true too. You cannot grow without other people watching you. You cannot do the will of God alone. Yes, it takes grace in the Holy Spirit, but the streams of grace in the Holy Spirit flows through people, I assure you. You got to hear sermons on Sunday. You got to join life groups. You got to connect together. You got to call each other up. You got to get on the email. You got to join Crosspoint Cares. Candy, can I get an amen? amen? 
Amen. Crosspoint cares. You got to go care for somebody who needs their yard mowed or needs a meal taken to them. And, and you got to get out of yourself and you got to connect and give back. And you got to be the community, not the crowd waiting around for the spectacular, waiting around for the big day. You got to follow Jesus together in the small days. Community. Jesus didn't bring Crosspoint into East Peoria to gather a big crowd. Jesus brought Crosspoint into this community to build a community for him. We encircle Jesus to do the will of God, to plunder Satan's house and to be the people of God. Now, that's my sermon. Now I'm going to talk about life groups. Can I get an amen? That's why we do life groups. And I'm telling you, we are not perfect. I, there's no promises here. It's, I'm not saying that if you go to life groups, suddenly your life's for, forever going to be changed. What I am saying is we got awesome people. And my challenge to you is to find a life group. Now, our life groups, what are life groups? Life groups meet in homes, anywhere from 12 to 14 adults. They meet every single week on different days of the week. They do a few things. They pray, they eat something, a snack, sometimes a meal. If I go to it, they have to have a meal. Um, they have full dinner and dessert. So you, got, you get a meal, and then there's sermon-based discussions that happen in these life groups. And there's nothing wrong with starting out in the church as a part of the crowd as long as you're moving in the direction of community and life groups is a great way to do that. And what I want you to do is I want you to take some time. I want you to fill out that card inside your bulletin and let me know where you're at. Say, I'm already part of a life group. I'm not a part of a life group. Don't want to be a part of a life group. Never will. Here's why. Um, uh, I want to be a part of life group, but... The life groups that meet don't meet on a night that's convenient for me. And then I want you to put down a night that works for you or a day that works for you. And I'm not promising you anything, but we might be able to put together a group that doesn't exist that works on a day and a time that works for your schedule. But I want to make every effort to encourage you to do this because not only are we wanting to bless you, we want you to bless us. We want you to be a blessing and to get the experience of being a blessing. And what I always tell people, these life groups start next week, the week of, no, the week of September 9th, whenever that is. But I always tell people, look, go to a life group, try it for three weeks, three weeks. And if after that third week, those people are, are annoying you like Levi annoyed Simon the Zealot, you can try another life group. However, be as patient with each other as possible. Try it. Three weeks. That's all you have to do. We, they usually meet about eight weeks, ten weeks, and there's always a break. There, there's always on-ramps and off-ramps. And so we're just really challenging our church to really lean in. This is our vision. Our vision is community. And we celebrate the gospel on Sunday and we connect together in our life groups, and then we serve together on our serving teams. And when we're all doing those three things, we become a powerful community. We start plundering Satan's house with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, I don't know how you grew up. 
I grew up in churches where there was like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, Thursday night prayer meeting, you know what I'm saying? And then you got to go, you know, then you got to go to the church and do something, you know, a meeting or something like that. And what we're trying to do is just say, look, give us two blocks of your week. Just two, not four, not five, not six, two blocks. One block is Sunday morning. The second block is a life group. So that's what we got to do. See, as imperfect as it is, we're attempting to follow Jesus. And we know that he is going to bless our church as we, not, not that we're perfect, but we're moving in the direction of gospel community for Jesus Christ. Let us move from the crowd to the community. Amen? While you're still filling that out, and you can still continue to fill that out while I pray, you're still spiritual, but I'm going to pray over you while you're filling that out. Lord, thank you for our church. Jesus, thank you for setting us free from darkness and from Satan. Thank you for being our deliverer. Without you, we could... We could do nothing for God. We were lost and trapped. But with you, we begin to see and sense and taste life. Thank you for that. And Lord, as a church, we admit that we're broken too. We're imperfect, just like those original 12 disciples. Um, But Lord, we know that as we come before you, that you work with our brokenness. You work with our imperfections. And you show us your perfection. Cover us and grip us with your greatness and holiness. Cover us with your righteousness. And help us to love one another the way you've loved us. Help us to be a forgiving and gracious, yet a a community powerfully rooted in the truth. And Lord, for anyone who is not a believer in you, open the eyes of their heart to see and to believe and to follow you in this world. I pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.